0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. You know how I'm always telling you guys to bet on red? Well, if you head over to Bet Online Sportsbook, you can put together a nice little parlay of Patrick Mahomes to win MVP, Kansas City to get the number one seed in the AFC, and Kansas City to win the Super Bowl, tallying together at a nice value of plus 1150. Use our promo code Believe. That's B L E A V. To get a fifty percent welcome bonus on that first deposit when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode, bet online where the game starts. Good. on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live, because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody. It is December 7th according to my count. may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. Today... I was juggling around a few different topics for uh, what to bring on the show today, whether to make this a sports radio Wednesday or uh, talk about the Sacramento Kings and uh, the really interesting story that I've found in my three months of being here and the regional team in a non-regional sport like the NBA that has this cool feeling of civic pride and uh, I was going to talk about that a little bit, but I'll save that for another longer form podcast because dropping into my lap on Tuesday, after three and a half years, we have Andrew Luck talking publicly in a 40-minute long piece by Seth Wickersham on ESPN. I don't know what to call it, an essay an exclusive report, I don't even know what to call it, but just Seth Wickersham writing, I mean, basically a a profile of Andrew Luck with Andrew Luck, sitting down with him about five times over the span of seven to eight months and telling his story in a way that he had not in any capacity since he retired in 2019. And we've talked a lot about Andrew Luck before, I think probably on like five or six different occasions on this podcast. Most recently, on a, on a full episode, when Zach Kiefer of The Athletic did a six part documentary series on Andrew Luck that ended up being the most popular podcast on Apple for like a week or, or two weeks straight. And it was super duper interesting and, and it provided a, a depth reporting piece. But what it was lacking was Andrew Luck. Talking about this case, about his career and the end of his career, and also didn't have what happened after retirement. The story ends with Andrew Luck's retirement and it doesn't have what happened after, which is the thing that I've always been so fascinated by, especially within the context of this podcast. We've been doing this podcast for now. This is our fourth year of putting this together. And I have been doing the Take It Easy podcast, now 1,100 plus episodes every day, sometimes just doing it as a reflexive, you know, like a workout, and I've been doing it for this long time, and when we first started the podcast, when I was not even in college yet, and I've graduated college, when I was not even in college, the Andrew Luck retirement was the first big story that we ever covered on the podcast and in the podcast space. Andrew Luck's retirement was incredibly fascinating for that reason for myself before I understood anything about who Andrew Luck was as a person or what the injuries looked like. Andrew Luck had been incredibly fascinating to me because he was the the quote-unquote nerd in a jocular sport. He was the guy who had a flip phone. He was the guy who would uh, say golly gee and funny phrases. He was the guy who had a book club. Andrew Luck was the guy who graduated with a degree in architecture from Stanford. Andrew Luck was a guy who didn't fit the mold of an NFL quarterback, didn't fit the description of this jocular sport. And I think I found that incredibly interesting because I'm always attracted to those people. I'm I'm attracted to the people who see sports for what it is and also exist within this sports space to kind of change the way we perceive it. And Andrew Luck was that quarterback where I was like, this guy has better statistics in his first six seasons than Dan Marino. And he is like the antithesis of what we, of what the NFL sells us as athletes and sells us as quarterbacks. And I was so immensely fascinated by Andrew Luck and fascinated by how this person could have the most shocking retirement of any player in the NFL in my lifetime. The only comparison you could point to is Barry Sanders retiring before training camp in 1999, walking away about four or five years early from the peak of his career. Or Calvin Johnson, also of the Detroit Lions, walking away at 31 years old. There's so little precedent for a 29-year-old who in the first six seasons of his career, minus the year where he missed the whole year with injury, his first six seasons of his career had better statistics than Hall of Fame quarterback Dan Marino. And that person just walked away from a decade of being an NFL Hall of Fame quarterback, walked away from $300 million, and it's it's the most fascinating story I've seen in my lifetime when it comes to an athlete and really just in the NFL space. Andrew Luck is my favorite athlete of all time because I absolutely relate to the weirdos in sports. I love Kawhi Leonard. I love uh, Andrew Luck. I love these weirdos who occupy the spaces of sports because I myself am a weirdo and love the idea of weirdos occupying this sports space and not fitting into what the stereotypes and what the culture permits. I find that to having the culture bend to their weirdness and the real honesty that comes from that, I find that so fascinating. And so Andrew Luck has this profile with Seth Wickersham that drops, which has an incredibly, incredibly in-depth story. And for those, I'm just going to kind of spark notes, the football part of it. So Andrew Luck, is the guy from Stanford and the thing that he describes is like there's this media narrative of like he's a architect who reads books about concrete which is one of the fun stories is that Andrew Luck literally has read books about concrete and he's he's into architecture and he's into books and he's into science he could be a scientist He's he's this nerdy quarterback who doesn't fit in and Andrew Luck really, really rejects that notion in the story, which is something that I found interesting being pushed back on. The thing that he talked about is Andrew Luck found himself in a position where he, as he described it, tied up a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of his self-identity. I'm going to try and do the Andrew Luck impersonation because uh, you know, I can do a little bit of an Andrew Luck. It's one of my my five uh, my five impersonations. They tied up a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot uh, of his self identity into being a football player. Despite this narrative of him being an architect, an engineer, a scientist, he felt incredibly limited to being a football player because he is a prodigy. He could have been the number one pick in the 2010 draft and the, or sorry, the 2011 and the 2012 draft. He chose to stay at Stanford, went into the draft in 2000, uh, 2012. He felt like he had to pursue this dream or pursue this career because when you're the prodigy quarterback, number one pick two years running, you feel a sense of obligation is the way that Seth Wickersham described it. You need to see it through and see where this takes you because everyone's telling you, look, you are this person, you are this star and Andrew Luck felt like when he got to Indianapolis, he had to have a level of control over a totally random game. And he had to be controlling of his teammates and be the leader who basically was the the leader of a multi-billion dollar corporation at 22, 23 years old with all of the crazy not necessarily agendas, but all of the craziness that comes with running and being the face of a multi-billion dollar organization where hundreds of millions of dollars are moved based on your decisions, It like Andrew Luck was crumbling under the pressure at the time. And the thing that was interesting from the Zach Kiefer documentary is that Andrew Luck really liked the, the physical aspects of football, loved taking hits, loved being physical, and playing through pain because he saw how the other players whom he, you know, you create this camaraderie and brotherhood, the way that he sacrificed and the way that they sacrificed, he felt he had to back that up. And so Andrew Luck would physically break down and whether that's the shoulder, whether that's the ankle, whether that's the the torn abdomen or the lacerated kidney, all of which happened within a span of 12 months, it was just play through it, play through it, play through it. And Andrew Luck did real damage to his shoulder to such a point where after the 2016 season, he doesn't pick up an object and throw it for close to 12 months. And in this piece, they go deep into what was happening during those 12 months, where he goes to the Netherlands and he had to re—he rehab the shoulder without actually doing doing any of the rehab process they weren't going to do any more surgeries he was just going to take time to let his body get right and work his mechanics correctly and that required going 12 months without picking up even a tennis ball and throwing it five yards he had to go 12 months without throwing the shoulder and as he described it he would he he blurred the lines between the relationship of pain and rational thought. Every decision that he made, this is from Wickersham's story, every decision he made was with the decision of how does this affect my pain in my shoulder? And he was in this interesting place where he felt, he, he, the way he described it, is, quote, he felt like a failure for the first time in his life. And that was a direct quote, by the way. And it's super interesting because... He talks about how when he's in Holland, he was in this silent hell. And this is a direct quote here. Scared, panicked, and putting up all of these emotional guardrails around his life and around Nicole, who's his his, uh, partner, eventually now his wife, and the mother of their two children. And so what I thought was super interesting was the period of time there in which he is starting to examine the real version of himself. And I'm just going to read directly here uh, from this piece and talk about the guardrails. Uh, at first, Luck wasn't in the mood to hear it. This is Nicole talking about she used to be a gymnast. She was injured for most of her young life. He couldn't hear it. He wasn't sleeping well. He was in pain. He was fighting with Nicole. The team was halfway across the globe without him, and if he stopped to examine his life, the entire world he constructed might start to unravel, perhaps revealing it to be fatally flawed all along. Quote, I understood myself best as a quarterback, Luck says. I felt no understanding of other parts of myself at all. Nicole was prepared to leave him if nothing changed. Then one night, he broke. He cried, he cursed, he vented, he confessed, and most of all, he leveled with Nicole in a way she thought he was incapable of. Quote, There are some things that when I look in the mirror, I did not like about myself, Lux says. I was self-absorbed, withdrawn in pain, and feeling pressure. After about a few weeks in Holland, Luck started to see a professional therapist. And Kramer started to serve, Kramer is his trainer who he traveled to Holland to meet with. Kramer started to serve not only as a trainer, but as a couples counselor of sorts, trying to teach Andrew and Nicole about the communication and identity as individuals and as a unit. One day, Kramer asked Luck, aren't you more than a quarterback? Huh? Luck said. I mean, that's fine, I guess. What you do on the field is amazing. But aren't you more than that? Luck thought so, but maybe not. It took weeks, but Luck was at the early stages of trying to shed his former self, his quarterback self, in favor of a person he didn't know yet. One night in the Netherlands before returning to America, Luck took a few people out for pizza. He started to order for the table, which is a thing that he did with the Colts in his first four seasons. As the quarterback, he got to order for the table and order for everyone. That was just something that he put in place as a level of control. Quote, You're getting the margarita, he told Kramer. No, Kramer said. You're getting it, Luck said. No, I'm not, Kramer said. Why would you order for people? Everyone laughed, but Luck got the point. Luck now refers to those six weeks simply as Holland, an experience as much as a place, a transformation so profound that looking back might have marked the beginning of the end of his NFL career. He returned to the Colts facility in late 2017 with a promise to himself that he would put his body and mind and wife-to-be first. At first, uh, at the time, Luck also had a goal of returning to play. When he entered the Colts building, the familiar urges started to kick in. The team and the press wanted to know his time frame for throwing. Luck told them he would throw when he was ready. But Ballard said that Luck, quote, "...cared so much about others and not letting the team down, that he was in a dull panic." I need to throw, Luck told Kramer. You're not ready. You're not ready. I need to throw. Why? I need to. You matter, Kramer said. And when you can't throw, you still matter. And this is part of what I talked about earlier, what Andrew said. He tied up a lot, a lot, a lot of his self-identity in being a quarterback. And when he couldn't be a quarterback, he felt like he wasn't really a person. And that's what the, the time away from football started to teach him and so as this story goes along we start to see him go through the rehab process he meets with the same person who uh, uh, worked with drew Brees's mechanics after drew Brees suffered his uh what was it a shoulder injury back in 2004 and eventually he gets to a place where he can throw and not feel pain in his arm and then the 2018 season is when he wins comeback player of the year and when he throws for 42 touchdowns and the Colts go from starting the season 1 and 5 or sorry 1 and 4 to winning 9 of their last 10 games no one they start 1 and 5 they win 9 of their last 10 games and they make it to the playoffs where they beat the Houston Texans as the 6th wild card they go to Kansas City and they are the second best team in the NFL at the time and they end up basically that season they go 10 and 1. Luck has the number 1 QBR in the sport, they have the number 1 offensive line, the number 1 ranked defense in the sport during the, and the number 1 scoring offense during those 10 during that 10 and 1 stretch. So just the last 10 weeks of the season plus the playoff game. They have the number 1 QBR in luck number one QBR rating in the sport in it by luck number one offensive line number one defense best record in the sport best scoring offense in the sport and only against Kansas City in the road on the road in a playoff game do they end up losing in the second round to the the MVP Patrick Mahomes team that ends up losing to the Patriots in the AFC championship and at the end of that season, Luck injures his ankle and his foot, and as he described it, it Here's here's from the Wickersham piece after he injures his ankle and foot in 2019. It started all over again. The anger, the feigned stoicism, the moodiness, the empty responses to Nicole, the confusion as doctors were unable to explain what was wrong despite three MRIs. As the 2019 season neared, Luck was again away from the team, off in the training room. All the scars from the past showed up, Chris Ballard said, the general manager. Luck felt himself drift back not only into the hamster wheel of rehab, but to all of his worst impulses. Sulking and scared, not only because of he was in chronic pain, but because of how he acted in chronic pain. A resentment less towards his body for failing to hold up, and more towards himself. It wasn't just a matter of getting his foot to cooperate, it was that he knew what he was headed for if it did. It felt so familiar, Luck says. Something had to give. One day during training camp, Luck confesses to his teammate Anthony Costanzo that he was once again asking himself, who am I? This time, Luck's answers were different than 2017. He was not just a quarterback. In the offseason, he and Nicole married, and she was pregnant with Lucy, their first daughter. He had responsibilities and promises beyond himself and the Colts. He was coming close to saying out loud what he had disclosed only to Nicole and few others, that he wasn't sure he wanted to do this anymore. Not could, wanted. He had proved that he could play at a high level. He would received plenty of praise and criticism, enough to know that neither of those things mattered. It was admirable that he was able to see the big picture, Costanzo said. For him to continue on in his life as a quarterback, he would have essentially expected it to be Andrew's world, and every relationship in his life would cater to Andrew's world, which is not the person he wanted to be. End quote. One day during training camp, Luck called Nicole, who was on the road with a camera crew. She works as a producer. I think I'm going to retire he said. Okay, this is real now, Nicole thought, but she couldn't talk. We're on air, gotta go. Nicole was willing to cater to Andrew, to do whatever it took for him to realize his goals as a quarterback. But he was done. Luck told his family and close friends. Wilson, his agent, advised his agent and uncle, advised him to sleep on it. When they spoke two days later, Luck was resolute. Chris Ballard tried to appeal to Luck's competitive fire, but it was gone. Reich implored him not to rush a big decision, but Luck didn't think it had been rushed. When Wilson, his agent, met with Ballard to finalize the paperwork, both men cried. Luck savored his final days in pro football. He played catch with Jack Doyle on the field before his next-to-last preseason game, putting his arm around him as they entered the tunnel. That weekend, Luck threw a birthday party for Nicole at downtown Indianapolis restaurant called Bluebeard. He got chatty and told almost everyone in attendance, hoping they could keep a secret for a few days. A week later, on Saturday night, in a preseason game against the Chicago Bears, Luck was on the sideline in street clothes. The secret plan was to announce his retirement the next afternoon. In the fourth quarter, Luck felt the mood in the building shift. The crowd was still lingering. There was a strange fervor. Cameras had turned towards him. Colts Media Relations executive Matt Conti came over holding his phone, with word that ESPN's Adam Schefter had broken the news. "'Well, it's out,' Luck told Doyle and Costanzo. Some of the crowd booed Luck, in the only city he'd ever acclimated as a professional, where he'd lived downtown and had a view of Monument Circle, where he was part of the people, where he had started a book club to improve literacy, where he played trivia on Wednesdays and ate at restaurants trendy and obscure.' As Luck approached the tunnel, the crush got louder and more personal. In the locker room, players were staring at texts with stunning news about a man feet away. Luck explained himself, fighting back tears. Conti was in a nearby room trying to get Luck a copy of his speech, hoping that a printer had, that never seemed to work would come through. It did. It walked Luck ba- He walked lack- Luck to the podium with the papers. Glad I didn't leave it till morning luck thought and so that leads us into his retirement and that's where the story had previously ended and now the thing that i'm super interested in is that the story continues after that because the story that i had been telling for years literally years we did a a fun andrew luck bit back in february of 2021 I've talked about this multiple times during the 2020 year. We did a full podcast in the middle of the pandemic years and years ago about Andrew Luck and the Colts and everything that's happened since. We did the podcast in August about Andrew Luck coming off the the six-part documentary that Zach Kiefer did with The Athletic. And this is what the story had always been. The story for Andrew Luck had always been... This guy who had better stats than Dan Marino the first six years of his career, a Hall of Fame quarterback, walks away at 29 years old and vanishes from the face of the earth for two years. Nobody hears from him. Nobody sees him. Vanishes from the face of the earth. How is that possible in the modern NFL world? How is it possible that a Hall of Fame quarterback could walk away at 29 years old, 10 years before the end of his career that certainly would have ended up in the Hall of Fame. And I articulate Andrew Luck should belong in the Hall of Fame. How could he just vanish from the face of the earth after the most shocking moment that most of us have experienced within football? At least the the only comp is before I was born. How does someone just walk away and no one hears from him for two seasons? Well, that's what happened. And then... In August of 2021, we had our first-ever Andrew Luck sighting when he showed up at a high school in Colorado. I was like, what? Andrew Luck just like miraculously showed up at a high school in Colorado? And then he showed up on the national championship broadcast in Indianapolis in 2022. And then he got inducted into the Stanford uh, Athletics Hall of Fame in fall of 2022. And he got inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame uh, and that's why he showed up at the the championship game in Indianapolis, and did broadcast with Robert Griffin the Third on ESPN for pregame stuff, and that was the only time we'd seen Andrew Luck or heard from Andrew Luck. In the Kiefer documentary that came out in July, he talked about how Luck sat down for with him for one conversation across a couple hours off the record and that was what Andrew wanted to give to him knowing that he was going to do that piece on the Colts and that you know Zach had been a beat reporter for the Athletic when Luck was playing so he gave him two three hours Um, but that's the only times that we'd heard the, the tracings of what happened to Andrew Luck what I had been so fascinated by and what had been Eating at the back of my mind for years is what happens after you walk away? What happened in those two years when you, leave the, when you leave the sport at 29 and the most shocking thing that's happened in football? What happens when the football nerd who decides to walk away from $300 million or more and uh, you know the Hall of Fame quarterbacking career 10 years early, 8 years early? What happens after that? And I know that puts more expectation on Andrew Luck for the super-duper juicy, enticing story. And Lord knows from his previous life in football what putting expectation on Andrew Luck does. I feel resolved with the answer that I got. And the story of what happens after football. And instead of trying to surmise the whole thing, I'm just going to take a handful of minutes here to just read it what happened to andrew luck according from the story from seth wickersham what happened after cuz what what i have to work off of is what seth wickersham talked about in this story and there's so many interesting winding points that i'm going to touch on but i feel i feel i mean i'm probably more interested in this than most people but i just want to read it cuz it's super interesting luck had started to tell himself a series of stories of being a quarterback of being a husband and father, of the injury cycle proving the gift, providing the gift of awareness, of having made a decision. He told himself stories of a former football player whose story made sense. Grieving what you know best, he says, often until those stories made sense. But none of them netted in any resolution or assurance that he hoped would erase this feeling he lived with and had no choice but to try and talk out. This insane conflict of giving his life to become one of the best in the world at his craft, and wondering what's left when it's over. Therapy helped Luck arrive at the clarity that I don't need more clarity, he says. Language that felt both sufficient and inadequate because it failed to yield what he wanted to know most. Which choices are the right ones? Are they right forever? And if they fade, or if their edges recede, like an iceberg, were they wrong even if they still feel right i doubt i'll ever find those answers luck says all of them or any answers one day while walking with lucy in their neighborhood luck saw kids playing football he they knew who he was he knew that they knew they asked him to throw luck threw a tiny ball to tiny targets it rushed back to him the motions and rhythms but most of all the purity of providing of making people's day just by delivering something into their hands. I always had fun throwing, he said. And so he threw to those kids until it started raining, and Lucy was getting soaked, and it was time to go home. Two years into retirement, Luck was happy to be a stay-at-home dad. He'd go fishing, he'd go cycling, but he also wanted a career, something to fill football's void, to define him as something other than the quarterback who walked away. He considered going back to school, buying a stake in an MLS team, starting a venture capital firm in the Bay Area, or joining the ski patrol. He could be choosy, with financial blessings beyond belief that he didn't take for granted. But he also knew that whatever he did, it had to mean something. Once you're a quarterback, America never sees you as anything else, almost like a president. Luck spent the winter of 2021 in Summit County, Colorado, where his family has a house. He skied Breckenridge almost daily, chatting up strangers on the chairlift, anonymous behind a helmet and goggles. Luck met some ski patrollers, one of whom was also an assistant football coach at Summit High School, and asked if he wanted to talk to the players sometime. Sure, Luck said. In late August, he showed up. The smell hit him first. The locker room, sweat, and old metal of pads and jerseys, plastic and foam, and and grass-stained mesh. Awful but familiar, triggering memories of how impressionable he had been as a teenager. He threw to receivers, firing his first pass into the dirt. He spoke to the team for five or so minutes, then asked for questions. "'What's the biggest regret of your NFL career?' a kid asked. Luck cursed in his mind, having hoped for a softball. "'Good question,' he said." and he decided to tell a group of kids what he had never said publicly. I regret the timing of when I retired. He felt he had let people down, for which he had to learn how to forgive himself. What mattered to him most about football, what he wanted the kids to learn, was the uber accountability. He knew that his own ideas of accountability and of football were more complicated than the romantic version he had shared. And on the drive home that afternoon, Luck couldn't stop smiling at the thought of those romantic notions. Of sitting in meetings and geeking out for 45 minutes on one play. Of tough moments, when he was hurting or reckless with the ball. Of dumb stuff, like being whacked by pool noodles in practice to reduce fumbles. In the fall of 2021, he watched football more often, and sometimes called David Shaw, Stanford's coach at the time, to discuss pass protections. He said he understood what football did give get, did give me what it demanded, what it took in a sense, what I allowed it to take away. On a Saturday morning in Indianapolis last autumn, he was at Lucy's soccer practice on fields next to the Colts facility. Over a blue fence, the Colts were holding a walkthrough. Luck could hear and see glimpses of his old job, and what hit him felt truer than some of the stories he'd tell himself and didn't feel like a story at all. He was still a quarterback. I don't think that'll ever go away, he said. He wanted back in the game, this time to coach. Luck worried and deliberated, re-evaluated and reconsidered, wondering if this was what he wanted, if it could make him feel as alive as playing once did, or if it was merely what sounded best. He wanted a graduate degree if he were to coach and maybe teach high school history, and the idea of grad school felt like a big deal. It was a declaration of a career. It would be Andrew Luck's first big public step since retirement, bringing attention he had worked hard to avoid. By last December, Luck had decided if he were to go back to school, it had to be in the fall of 2022. Nicole was pregnant with Penelope, their second child. Stanford's first day was a few months after she would be born, giving them a little bit of breathing room before her arrival and class. Luck decided to apply. It was different from 2008. He was Andrew Luck, Cardinal legend, one of the inductees into the College Football Hall of Fame class of 2022. This time, no one was in his living room promised to make his dreams come true. He had to provide letters of recommendation. He wrote an essay about Summit High School experience, and he sent his application off. An email arrived in February. He stared at his inbox, nervous in a way he hadn't felt since football. He knew he would get in but he couldn't bring himself to read it. The absurdity of it all made him laugh. Finally, he opened it. Congratulations on behalf of your colleagues in the Stanford Graduate School of Education. One morning shortly after, Luck was hanging out with T.Y. Hilton, one of his favorite receivers from the Colts. Luck told Hilton how much he loved and missed the game, and that he was thinking about coaching and teaching in high school. I'm going back to school, he said. It made perfect sense, Hilton thought. Luck wanted that audience again, a huddle again, wanted to share expertise, wanted to order people around, wanted to be Andrew Luck again, which was loving football, yes, also loving something else that football provided and few other aspects of life can. Just not as a quarterback, not for the Colts, nor anywhere in the NFL. No matter how much the team hopes, he will somehow change his mind and pick up where he left off in 2019, saving the organization, city, and maybe himself. After he retired, Luck occasionally dropped by the facility, tutoring Ballard's son Cole, who is a high school quarterback, and hanging around with Reich. For a while, Luck and Reich tiptoed around football. Then suddenly, Luck couldn't stop discussing key plays from Colts games and offering advice. Reich wondered, is he telling me, subliminally, that he wants to play again? At one point, Reich was driven when Message in a Bottle played on the radio. It's a sign, Reich thought. He pulled over and sent Luck a long text beginning with, I'm sending out an SOS. I appreciate the Message in the Bottle, Luck replied, but the answer was no. There are things I miss, but there are things that, one, I'm not willing to give up about my life now, and two that I don't want to put myself through again. The day after Luck retired, Ballard addressed the organization. After almost two decades of Manning and Luck, he said, We're going to understand how the rest of the league lives. There's uncertain hope in the air at 6.45 a.m. in early September, Luck's last full day in Indianapolis. He is in his backyard, overlooking the lake. The family's stuff is mostly packed up for Palo Alto. It's quiet and calm. The sky is orange layered on pink, mirroring off the water. Luck sits in a hoodie and shorts, with gray specks in his once famous beard, holding a double espresso. Life has been lived here, he says, looking at the lake. Not perfect life, but life. A new life is approaching fast, and Luck is by turns angsty and ready. The stakes feel high. He's uprooting the entire family to a smaller house, new preschool and routines, with an infant, all for a new career he hopes is the right one. He's less declarative about it than he was earlier this year. I want to coach, and or teach, in some capacity in my life," he says, leaving Wiggle Room. The remnants of his old life, of hype, cameras, people assuming he has it all figured out, expectations from both himself and a public that might see him as someone who walks away from the things after he spent most of his life sprinting towards them, makes him feel nervous and claustrophobic. If I were to coach, what would I bring? Well, certainly an experience that's semi-unique on a scale of football experiences. I shouldn't say semi-unique. Completely Unique. The existential stress is real, stress, a few weeks later, at Stanford, as Luck exits his philosophy of education class, exhausted and overwhelmed. It's the second week of school. October 2022. We enter a cafe, he stands in front of a coffee machine, and I ask him about his day. He fixes himself an espresso, his second of the morning. He looks like a college student. Flannel shirt, backpack, beat-up Stanford hat, which happens to be from his undergrad days, and is fretting like one, worried about the course load, all of which more complicated with a young family. He already dropped a class after feeling too close to the line of losing touch with Nicole and the kids, a boundary that after Holland, he promised himself and the family he'd never cross. A reminder that his quarterback self, the guy who could so easily and ruthlessly exclude everything in life except the task at hand, is still in there. The photo on his Stanford ID is still the one he took at age 18, during his first days on campus. Little about the experience is familiar, except when he drops by the football offices. As a freshman and now, luck came to campus wanting to be something. Back then the choice was clear, and felt less like a choice than it does now. I'm choosing to be here 100%, he says, and get as much out of of uh, get as much out as I want to put in. Only now he doesn't have absolute clarity about what that something might be, which is both terrifying and fun depending on the day. He knows he's retracing the steps he took as a young man, hoping that this time he might take a different path somewhere along the road, even as he swears he isn't trying to go back in time. He sits at a table at an outdoor cafe on campus as students hustle to class and takes an hour to try and sort it out, starting broad and philosophical, like he does in his journals. "'Why would I want to go back to school?' he asks. He talks about growth and knowledge. He confesses to feeling like an old fucking curmudgeon. I need to say this in the Andrew Luck voice. An old fucking curmudgeon. Figuring out how to register for classes online. He tells me about a group of 17 other students in his program he's meeting with, all in their late 20s and mid-30s, all of whom wanted a career change and have landed here too. Some know who Luck is, some don't. It's been really cool, he says. They don't tend to ask him about football or coaching, they don't seem to think he has it all figured out, and they're not disappointed in him for walking away. It's not about what he was with them. I need to live this before the story's written. He says, he looks at his phone, time to pick up Lucy from school. He walks to his bike, the only one at the rack with a toddler seat and fiddles with the lock. He straps on his helmet, hops on and cycles through campus, weaving around students, walking to class, gaining speed before rounding a corner. And once again, Andrew Luck is gone.